Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 22. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 29. Give you a moment to turn there. Acts chapter 22. Verses 23 through 29. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought back into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Thus ends our reading of God's unchanging word. May all who hear it find that that they have their citizenship in heaven. It was only a few summers ago that my son Jet became a U.S. citizen. This was a long and arduous and expensive process that our family had to go through. And in fact, we had to hire a lawyer out of Atlanta who who specialized in such cases. And let me tell you, she wasn't cheap. I mean, what lawyer is, right? But she was worth every penny. And the reason she was worth every penny is because now Jet is a naturalized citizen and is afforded every benefit of citizenship that those of us who were born in this nation tend to take for granted. Let me explain to you in greater detail what this citizenship means. And for one, we no longer have to worry about Jet being deported. He he is now free to reside in any of the 50 states that make up this nation. Not only that, Jet also has the freedoms that we have. He has a freedom of speech. He has freedom of religion. He, he can worship his God without interference from the state. And when he comes of age, he'll have the right to vote or even run for an elected office. He has all those things and more because he is now a U.S. citizen. And, and that, my friends, has brought great joy to our family. This concept of citizenship plays a major theme in our passage for today. For for we see the Apostle Paul using the advantages of his Roman citizenship for the purposes of God's kingdom. And this is important for us to know because in Paul's example, we, we learn what it means to be a citizen of heaven living in these earthly kingdoms. 
And yet before we, we jump into the text, let's, let's do a little reminder for ourselves of where we've been. I mean, how in the world did Paul find himself in the situation that he was in to begin with? When, when we last left off last Sunday, Paul was standing before a crowd of angry Jews. Jews who wanted to take his life. If you remember, he, he had been arrested by the Roman tribune Claudius Lysias after a riot had broken out near the temple. Paul's enemies, these, these Jews from Asia, had spotted, spotted him there. And, and what did they do? They, they riled up the crowd. They accused Paul of bringing a Gentile into the inner courts of the temple. And if it hadn't been for Claudius, this Roman tribune, Paul most likely would have been beaten to death right then and there. But instead, Paul had been bound in chains and then carried by, by, these, by these soldiers into the military fortress that was known as the Tower of Antonia. And then, if you remember, Paul had then been given an opportunity to address those who wanted to kill him, right? In order to give a defense and so he spoke to the crowd in the Hebrew language, in the very tongue that God had used to communicate to his people in the past. And, and when he did this, this grabbed their attention. A hush fell over the crowd. That was when Paul spoke of his former life as a Pharisee, as a zealous man who had been persecuting the church. He had even been given papers by the Sanhedrin allowing him to travel to Damascus in order that he might arrest the Christians who were there. And yet while he was on his way, what happened? The risen Jesus came to him. He appeared to Paul, delivering to Paul the truth concerning who he is and what he has done to rescue mankind. Jesus lifted the scales from Paul's eye. And Paul was now able to see the truth for the very first time. And what did he realize? He realized that Jesus is the Messiah. And that it is only through him that man can be saved. Then Paul shared with the crowd how Jesus called him to be a witness to all people, including the Gentiles. And it was at that word, the word Gentiles, that this crowd erupted again. They shouted, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And that leads us to today, where we see the aftermath of this chaos. Where Paul will invoke his rights as a citizen of Rome. Look again at verses 23 and 24. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. And so once again, we see, we see the vehemence of this crowd, right? These, these men were shouting at the top of their lungs, and they were throwing off their cloaks in anger and flinging dust into the air in a display of disgust and, and hatred. I mean, these Jews, they were, they were irate, and they desired nothing more than Paul's head. And yet Claudius, this, this Roman tribune, 
he, he was still in the dark as to why this was all happening, right? Not being a Jew, he, he didn't understand what Paul had been saying to the crowd as Paul had been speaking the Hebrew language. And yet what he did understand was that, that a crowd suddenly went from a hushed silence and turned into a loud and angry mob. I mean, this must have been un, unnerving to him. And, and that's why he quickly ordered Paul to be brought back into the fortress. He, he didn't want another riot to start to, to break out. And yet at the same time, as tribune over the city of Jerusalem, he wanted to know the truth. I mean, what offense could Paul have committed that would have, that would have caused these Jews to foam at the mouth the way they did? This Claudius was going to get to the bottom of this. And that, that was why he, was, he, he gave the order to have this man flogged. For it seemed to him, given the Jews' reaction, that, that Paul had to have committed some type of heinous crime. Perhaps this Paul wasn't as honest with him as he had thought. Look, look at verse 25. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Now to be stretched out for flogging was to have, have your upper body in a forward type position, creating a, a tense posture by exposing a person's back. And this was to ensure the, the splitting of the skin when the whips came down, allowing for maximum damage. And it was in this way that, that, the, that the Romans would ensure that a person would speak the truth, Right? For a person is more likely to confess if he knows the pain will stop. Now, now think about this. Flogging was very, very nasty. A person could be permanently damaged. They could be maimed for life. A person can die from it. These Romans, they, they really didn't care about Paul's life. What, all they cared about was maintaining the peace. And so by flogging Paul, either Claudius would get the information that he wanted or Paul would die, which would appease this angered mob and bring about the solution that he wanted anyways. And so it was a win-win for him. Either he would get the information or the crowds would be appeased. And yet before the centurion could even crack the whip, Paul spoke up. Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? <clears throat> now what Paul is doing here is he is invoking his rights as a Roman citizen. You see, under Roman law, the military was allowed to use this extreme method of, of questioning, questioning, as long as it was upon a slave or a non-citizen. But there was a protection for those who had citizenship. This was called Lex Julia Devi Publica. And it says this, Liable is anyone who, while holding imperium or office, puts to death or flogs a Roman citizen contrary to his rights of appeal. 
or order any of the above-mentioned things to be done, or puts a yoke on his neck so that he may be tortured. Now, now this law was created by the Roman emperors themselves. And the reason they created it was it was a way that they could eliminate corruption by those who wielded high positions of authority. And so if a citizen thought he was being punished unfairly or punished for some political motive, then he could appeal. He could appeal all the way to Caesar before he would receive any type of harsh punishment. And yet, if someone inflicted such punishment or even ordered it to be done on a Roman citizen, then that person, guess what? They would be exiled, losing their own citizenship in the process. And so this is what Paul was referring to when when he said, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Let's see what happened once the centurion heard that Paul was a Roman citizen. Look, Look at verse 26. When the centurion heard this, he he went to the tribune and said to them, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. I mean, you can almost hear the the fear in this centurion's voice. This man knew the penalty if either he or any other soldier under him were to lay a hand upon Paul. And the fact that they had already bound him in chains, that, that they had put a yoke upon him, meant that they may be facing consequences even for that. Not because Paul was a scary man, but simply based on his status as a citizen. This created a, a, a dread within this centurion's heart. And that's because Paul was under the protection of Caesar. Well, let's read a little further and see how the tribune reacted after the centurion gave him the news. Look, look at verses 27 and 28. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. And so this Claudius, he, he needed to find out for himself. That's why he rushed, rushed down to where Paul was being held and questioned, questioned the man. Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Paul confirmed this immediately. Now you may be thinking to yourself, well, how, how could Claudius know that Paul wasn't lying? Right? Well, there's actually two possibilities here. The first has to do with another law. A law about falsifying one's identity. To, to lie about one's citizenship was actually punishable by death. And, and so if Paul was, was lying, what he was actually doing was digging himself an even deeper hole than what he was currently in. Especially if it was discovered that he wasn't telling the truth. But there's a second possibility as well. For, for citizens, we're also given badges. And so Paul could have been carrying this badge with him in order to verify the, the privileged status that he had. 
in order to prove his identity to this Claudius. Whatever the case, Paul had asserted his citizenship and Claudius believed him. Well, as their conversation continued, Claudius mentioned that he had purchased his citizenship for a large sum. That meant that he that this man wasn't truly a Roman, but was most likely a Greek and had somehow obtained citizenship. And we know this because, because of his name. Yes, Claudius is a Roman name. It is a Latin name, but Lysias was a Greek name. It's similar to Paul, who was also called Saul, right? Saul was his Hebrew name, while Paul was his Latinized Roman name. Now, now there were a few ways that a, that a person could obtain Roman citizenship. Number one, like Claudius said, citizenship could be purchased. And yet the price was hefty. And only those who were the elite or had worked very, very hard for a very, very long time could afford it. But citizenship could also be earned without a large chunk of money. And that was through acts of public service, such as serving many, many years in the military. And finally, a third way that citizenship could be obtained is, is that it could be granted to a person by Caesar himself. And yet this was very rarely done. Perhaps a, a hero of a city or someone who had close ties to the emperor but if you didn't know the emperor, or if you weren't a hero, then it would probably never happen. Now, now when you consider all this, when, when, when you know that Claudius paid a large sum for his citizenship, well, what does that mean? That means that Claudius understood the value of citizenship. He knew how much it was worth because he had worked very, very hard himself to purchase such a status. And so this tells us something about the man. That he was an ambitious man. That he had earned everything that he had. I mean, even his title, his title as tribune, which would have made him the highest ranking officer within the, the, the military within Jerusalem. That was a title that had to be granted by Caesar himself. And so Claudius must have, have excelled in his duties in order to receive such an, arm, an, an honor. I mean, bottom line, Claudius had to, had to scrap and claw his way to the top. And he did not want to lose all that he had earned. This, this was why he rushed to Paul's side once he had discovered that Paul was a Roman citizen. And yet Paul, on the other hand, he was born a citizen, meaning that he didn't have to pay a dime for the privileges that he gained. Now, how can a Jew be born a citizen of Rome? There's only one way. It, it, the only way is to have both of your parents be citizens when you're born. And so his mother and his father were both citizens when Paul was born. And so even though Paul was of Hebrew descent, and he was able to grow up with the privileges 
of a Roman. And one of those privileges was the right to due process. He couldn't be flogged. He couldn't be harmed in any way without first having a hearing. He could appeal to Caesar. This is why we see the reaction that we do. Look, look at our next verse. Look at verse 29. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid. For he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. The fear among Claudius and the fear among the centurion and all the soldiers who were there, it's almost palpable. Realizing that they had put in chains and almost abused a Roman citizen, these men became very, very worried. It wasn't so long ago where we saw a similar re reaction in the book of Acts. Remember when Paul was in the city of Philippi, both he and Silas had been arrested, and after they were arrested, it was discovered that both of them were Roman citizens. Look, look, look at Acts chapter 16, verses 35 through 39. But when it was day, the, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So once again, we, we see that, that fear comes to those who mistreat a Roman citizen. Both Pi, Paul and Silas, if they so chose, they could have pressed charges against these magistrates. These Philippian leaders could have lost their own citizenship. They could have been banished because of their actions. That's how serious this was. And now Claudius was having these same kind of fears. He did not want to lose what he had worked so hard for. So, so what's the point of all this? Now, now that we have kind of nailed down the details of this passage, what, what is it that we can take away and learn from Paul's situation and, and how he responded? I want to put forward three questions that, that if we answer, I believe will help us get to the bottom of this. And question number one is this. Why did Paul choose this moment to invoke his privileges as a Roman citizen? You know, why did he mention it earlier? Why, why, why did he mention it at all? Which leads us to question number two. As a citizen of heaven, Paul's loyalty should be to King Jesus. So was it a betrayal for him to even use his Roman citizenship to get himself out of this mess? 
Shouldn't he have suffered for Christ and not relied on some worldly means of escape? And finally, question number three. How are we supposed to think about our citizenship in light of Paul's example? What real-world value does this passage have for us today? Let's take these questions in order one by one. First question, why did the Apostle Paul choose this moment to invoke his privileges as a Roman citizen? Well, let's be honest. I'm sure that Paul did not want to be flogged. I mean, who would if you could avoid it, right? As I said before, flogging was brutal. It could result in permanent damage, if not death. So does that mean Paul was scared? I don't think so. I mean, Paul had been through such things before. He had taken his beatings. And I'm sure he was willing to do so again for the sake of Jesus Christ. And yet Paul was also on a mission. The Holy Spirit had, had placed Paul in such a position for the advancement of the kingdom. Remember, it, it was the Holy Spirit who had told Paul that he would be in prison in the first place. And yet, what did the Spirit also tell Paul? That he was to go to Rome. I believe that Paul understood that his path to Rome would be through the Roman courts. That Paul would have to appeal his way to Caesar. So was this self-preservation? Well, in some ways, yes, but not fully. I believe this was also done to advance the mission of the gospel. And so this leads us to question number two. As a citizen of heaven, Paul's loyalty should be to King Jesus. So was it a betrayal for him to use his Roman citizenship? In other words, was it, was it wrong for Paul to use these earthly means for heavenly gain? Look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 20. Here we see Jesus talking about the very situation that Paul had found himself in. Jesus says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And so Paul was to be as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. In other words, he was to use whatever earthly means that God had given to him so long as it wasn't sinful in order to advance God's kingdom. And his Roman citizenship was now the very tool that Paul would employ to bring the gospel message before governors and before kings. And so no, Paul wasn't being disloyal to his heavenly calling. Rather, he was demonstrating his fidelity to his calling. And he did so by taking advantage 
of the earthly means that God had granted to him. Yes, Paul was a citizen of Rome, but he was a citizen of heaven first. And as a citizen of heaven, he would advance heaven's cause. This leads us to our third and final question. How are we supposed to think about our citizenship in light of Paul's example? Earlier, I I talked about Jet becoming a U.S. citizen. But what I didn't mention is that Jet is also a Thai citizen. He, He has dual citizenship. And what's great about that is it affords him benefits that no one else in his family has. For starters, he has the ability to live in the U.S. or in Thailand without having to worry about visas and work permits or going through all that expensive paperwork. He can establish residency in either country. Plus, when he comes of age, he will have the ability to vote in either nation as well. Bottom line, Jet will have opportunities that that most of us will never have. And the reason he has those opportunities is because he is a dual citizen. And yet in reality, if you are in Christ, then you truly do have dual citizenship as well. Yes, you are a citizen of the United States of America. But more importantly, you are a citizen of heaven. Look at, look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of, you, for many of whom I have often told you and, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly, sin, earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, I hope you notice the dichotomy between those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ and those who have their citizenship in heaven. The minds of Christ's enemies, what are they upon? They are upon earthly things. Yet the minds of heavenly citizens are focused upon their king and the hope that they have in him. They are focused upon heavenly matters. And that's because their loyalty is to their heavenly king. And so when Paul asks us to imitate him, it's because he has discovered the key of living in this dual citizenship. And what is that key? Paul did not neglect his Roman citizenship. Rather, he chose to use that citizenship for the furtherance of Christ's kingdom. For for the purposes of the one to whom he is truly loyal, to King Jesus. And so by appealing to Caesar, Paul would be able to go before kings and magistrates. He would be able to declare the gospel 
to those who held positions of influence. He would use his earthly citizenship to find his way to Rome, the exact location where the Holy Spirit had commanded him to go. Dear friends, I, I hope you understand that as a citizen of heaven, you are called to a higher purpose. And that is to take his message, to take the message of Christ and to be his ambassador to the rest of the world. And so I ask you, how are you using your dual citizenship for the advancement of the gospel? How are you using the, the, the privileges that you have been granted to proclaim Christ? Because that's what Paul did. Listen, you live, you live in a nation where you are afforded so many freedoms, so many privileges. And on the top of that list, you have been granted the freedom of speech. Do you know how many countries there are in this world where people cannot raise their voice? Where if they share the gospel, they could be beaten, they could be imprisoned, or even worse, they could be killed? And yet according to our U.S. Constitution, you have the ability to speak about Christ to whomever you want to without facing judgment from the state. Are you taking advantage of that freedom? Are you calling people to repentant faith in Jesus Christ? But there's more. For you also have the right of assembly, right? That's promised in the Constitution as well. You have the right to gather as the people of God and to worship with one another each and every Sunday. Again, are you taking advantage of that freedom? For there are many nations on this earth where, where people have to meet in secret. Where they live under the threat of being caught and punished. And yet they continue to gather each and every Sunday despite that danger. Why would they do that? Because they know the value of the gathered body. You don't have to worry when you enter those doors. Because of your citizenship, you're able to worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ without fear. Are you being a good steward of that privilege? But not only do you have the freedom of speech, not only do you have the freedom of assembly, but, but because of the United States standing throughout much of the world, you also have the freedom to travel to these other nations with relative ease. Not all passports carry the same weight. Let's be honest. There are certain nations that, that restrict or even block travel from other nations. And yet because of the power and the wealth and the political standing of the United States, you have the ability to enter most nations and receive a visa on arrival. Next summer, New Hope Church will be taking a, a two-week mission trip to Thailand. And, and guess what? If you are holding a U.S. passport, when you arrive in that nation, you will automatically be given a 30-day tourist visa. That's a privilege that you can take an advantage of for gospel purposes. And it doesn't have to be Thailand. For, the, for there are many nations that you can lawfully go to 
nations that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And there are even more rights that I haven't even mentioned. Rights that you could be using for the advancement of Christ's mission. But I, but I think you get the, get the point. You see, Paul, he, he understood that, that, that he was a citizen of heaven before he was a citizen of Rome. And yet that didn't stop him from using the privileges granted to him by Rome for heavenly purposes. And why? Because even as valuable as Roman citizenship was, the value of Paul's heavenly citizenship was so much greater. And the irony in all of this is, is that here was this tribune, Claudius Lysias, right? This man who had been questioning Paul, what did he have to do to get his Roman citizenship? He had to pay a large sum. He paid a huge amount of money for a citizenship that was inferior. And yet Paul's citizenship in heaven, what did that cost Paul? Zero. Zero. It cost Paul nothing, even though it's worth an infinite amount more. And that's because it was purchased for him by his king when Jesus went to the cross and died for his sins. And if you are in Christ, if you have repentant faith in him, then you too have been granted this same heavenly citizenship through the blood of your Savior. Amen. And so the question that you must answer now is this. Are you being a good steward of that heavenly citizenship? Will you take advantage of the, the privileges that your earthly citizenship affords you and use them for heavenly purposes? It's all about his mission. That's right. Amen. It's all about bringing the gospel to the lost of this world. Right. And God has given you so many tools, so many ways to go about that. Let us be good stewards. Let us be the, the dual citizens that we are. But let us put our heavenly citizenship first. Let's pray. Father, we, we do thank you so much that you have called us to be citizens in your kingdom. And that that citizenship that you have given to us, it was given to us. It was purchased for us by your son, Jesus Christ. And so we ask you that for, for you to help us to be good stewards of that citizenship as we go out into the world and proclaim the message of Jesus to the lost. Help us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves as we use the worldly means that you have blessed us with for your kingdom purposes. We can only do this through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask you to fill us and to strengthen us so that we might be loyal to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.